Well, if you have ever watched that very old TV show called Mission Impossible, or, or maybe even the movies, the newer movies, then you'll know that those particular TV shows and movies present the adventures of a group called the Impossible Missions Force. And there's the old TV show group there. But this top-secret agency had uh, some pretty dangerous duties. Uh, they would try to find stolen nuclear bombs. They would expose counterfeiters, rescue captured spies, to try to foil criminal plots, just to name a few things. It was considered the impossible missions no one else could do. And they always involved a very specific goal that was supposed to be accomplished in that particular mission. And, and what we're going to think about is this today. Could it be the same for the church? Could it be the same for the church? Does the church, that is, this group of God's people, have a specific mission to accomplish? It's a question that is complex, and sadly, even uh, amongst evangelicals, it's become divisive. Uh, not all agree on this. There's been various books, all kinds of books written on this subject that that uh, don't agree on this particular subject. And a part of the problem is is trying to define the word mission, which is not in your Bible. Uh, as a noun, the particular word mission, uh, well, not the at least the noun form, you're not going to find in your Bible. So what is mission? What is mission? Well, let me just quote from a few resources here. Uh, according to Stephen Neal, he said, if everything is mission, nothing is mission. <laughs> and that's confusing, maybe, to you, but there, there are some who are saying that everything is mission. And so in its most basic sense, the term mission implies two things, to, at least to most people. Number one, it, it includes being sent. But it also includes, number two, being given a task. So you... You're being sent with a task. So here's a good working definition, pretty basic. Mission is the specific task or purpose which a person or group seeks to accomplish. Now we'll apply that to the church in a moment here. but I, that, That's pretty basic, but it is helpful nonetheless. Uh, another thing that, that makes this an issue that's kind of complex and, and divisive is not everybody within the church understands we actually have three purposes of the church. The purpose of the church is ministry to God, ministry to believers, and ministry to the world. And so I'm going to really focus in on, zero in on that last part there, ministry to the world. Because mission is not everything the church does. Okay? The mission does not include ministry to God and ministry to believers, but rather everything the church is sent into the world to do is mission. So let's find out what the church is sent into the world to do. And I want to start, a, I, I like kind of starting with negative before we look at positive. So let's look at some false views here on what is the mission of the church. Number one, the mission is not to create a new world. There are some who think the mission of the church is well, we got to go provide health care, and we got to repair the, the slums of the city, and we got to plant some trees and fund disease research to stop cancer and so forth, and, and then we got to clean up the streets. Basically, when, when, you, when you talk that way as a church, the, the idea is you're working toward this perfect new heaven and new earth that God intends will come, is not here yet. Sometimes if you read literature on the mission of the church, you'll hear them use phrases like, well, we got to build the kingdom. we uh, we got to gather the building materials of the kingdom. Or we're bringing heaven to earth. Those are direct quotes from their literature. There's one big problem with that kind of a philosophy, though, the, the philosophy of we're building the kingdom. Uh, basically, it's this. It's not our job. It's not your job, not mine. It's not the church's job to build a new heaven and a new earth. That's God's job. He is doing it. And it will come in His time. It's not our job to do that. We can't do it anyway. 
So that's the first false view. That you, you know, you're not here to create a new world. Number two, the mission is not social justice. It's not social justice. Now that's that, that could have a whole message of it in and of itself. But some think the mission of the church is you need to be more concerned about the poor people of this world, or you need to go to to uh, like these well-meaning believers I saw in Vanuatu, you know, go and dig a well and and set some tanks up for these people, or you need to stop the sex trafficking, or we we gotta we gotta deal with all the orphans of the world. And those are all great things. Uh, well-meaning people do those sort of things. Social justice is certainly a hot issue, and uh, I don't think it's going to go away. And there, there are, you know, if God so leads you as an individual to do those sort of things, great, go for it. But uh, that's not the mission of the church. We will get it more into this this third one in a, in a moment here. But uh, please understand, number three, another false view is that the mission is not simply soul winning or evangelism. If you limit the mission to that, then you, you you're not you're not completing the mission which I'll I'll address in a moment. But uh, there are some people who limit the mission of the church to simply soul winning or evangelism. That's a false view. And I'll show you from Scripture why in a moment. But then there are well-meaning people who come to this fourth view. They just say, well, the mission is everything. Well, that's not helpful. Imagine what, what, what would church look like if you tried to fulfill that mission. The mission is everything. Well, then you got a lot of people with like headless chickens running around, you know, really busy accomplishing much of nothing. So in a world of finite resources and limited time, because you're not God, the church can't possibly do everything. It's not helpful. Uh, we're going to be ineffective in our mission if if you actually believe that your mission is everything. Likewise, we're not going to deliver on our mission if we are not sure even what the mission is. So let me give the correct view based on what Scripture says of what is the mission of the church. In, in, uh, well, in, in many of your Bibles, you have a heading that just says the Great Commission. The mission of the church is this Great Commission. What did the head of the church, the Lord, of this universe tell the church is the mission. That's what you need to know. That's what we need to follow. And it, we can find it throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. You'll find it in the epistles uh, as well. But these, these books are particularly helpful, been helpful to me. So let me just give you uh, a uh, an alliterated outline that I got from one of my professors. I haven't been able to improve on it. Many, many years ago, a professor gave this to me. It's it's really good. So, you can turn to Matthew 28 to start with. First book in your New Testament. The heading in your Bible probably says the Great Commission. Notice you'll see the word mission in commission. So, if you want to know what the mission of the church is, listen to the head of the church. What did he say before he left planet Earth? Uh, by the way, these, these words are familiar to most Christians. Let me encourage you to kind of put on some new reading glasses, so to speak. Don't let them just become dull, boring. Uh, I've heard that before. I hope uh, these are precious words to you and you'll look at them and listen. So in Matthew 28, Jesus gives us the strategy of our ministry. Here's the strategy of our ministry. Look at verse 18. So Jesus comes to these disciples. Many believe there's like 500 or so there. And he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let me just point out a few important truths here from this text, and then we'll move on. Notice, first of all, in verse 18, the mission that Jesus is giving here is based exclusively and entirely on His authority. 
No one else's, nothing else. He's the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. He, he's the rightful one to have that as the creator of the universe and as head of the church. And so it's based on his authority. And so what is he doing here? Well, God doesn't, he doesn't send out his church to conquer. So things like crusades and so forth were not helpful. In fact, they were very destructive and continue to be destructive. You are not sent to conquer. But he sends us out in his name as, uh, in the name of one who has already conquered. Not physically, but spiritually. So your, your mission is not to conquer physically, but spiritually. Alright? So you need to make sure we have that straight, or, or else you end up with terrible things like crusades. And so we only, we, we go only because King Jesus reigns. He's the one with the authority who has delegated that authority to his church. The command, well, you'll find that. One command, verse 19, make disciples is the command. Commands to make disciples. This great commission is basically this, my friends, to summarize it for you. You, we, are to bring unbelievers, the lost, who are spread throughout the world to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can't convert the heart, but you can tell them, you can be a witness. That's what God calls us to be, to be a witness. Well, how do you do that? Well, Jesus gives some specific requirements here for making disciples by giving us three Greek participles in this text. The uh, three Greek participles are going, baptizing, and teaching. The The word go there kind of comes across as a command, doesn't it? And so it should, because those participles are all telling you how to obey the command. How do I make a disciple of Christ? Well, Jesus says go. And so go requires the church to not just sit around and wait for the world to come to it, but the church is to go to the world. You're to infiltrate the world. You're to influence the world. That's what salt and light does. Uh, the, the word baptizing, your second Greek participle there, just literally means to immerse in water. And so this was uh, the what was instituted by Christ, and so baptism became an outward act of identification with Jesus Christ through faith in Him. It, it's a visible, public testimony that you belong to Jesus. You're identifying with Jesus and His people. Therefore, new converts, of course, need to understand that they need to be baptized. They need to identify with Jesus if they're a true believer. They need to make that public testimony in obedience to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's part of this strategy. So going, baptizing. And the third one is teaching. So that's why I said earlier the false view, some say uh, the mission of the church is soul winning or evangelism. Well, no, not not exclusively. Because Jesus says we're to teach. It shows us the church's mission isn't to just make converts. Those converts need to be taught something. Well, what do they need to be taught? What does the text say? You teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded. So the convert here is called, therefore, to a life of obedience to the Lord. And in order to obey him, then it's necessary to know what is required. How are they supposed to obey if they don't even know what to obey, right? They need to know what to obey. They need to know what the Lord requires of them. And so all of these requirements are going to be useless if we don't have verse 20. Praise God we have verse 20. Because the church cannot accomplish this mission without Christ's power without the head of the church enabling us, going with us at every moment, the church would fail. The mission would never even come close to being accomplished. But praise God, Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's the strategy of our mission. Go over to Mark chapter 16 and you will see the scope of our mission. Mark 
Mark 16, look at verse 15. Mark 16, verse 15. The Bible says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Notice here in this one verse, it shoots down some, some, some bad practices and methods. There's no geographical or racial boundaries in God's, in God's mission here. This mission is, notice, geographically, it is to the world. It, racially speaking or, or ethnically speaking, it is to all creatures. By the way, that doesn't include animals. I was asked that by uh, someone not too long ago. See, the animals aren't made in God's image. They don't have a soul. They can't be converted. But it certainly is referring to all ethnicities in this world. All ethnicities. So God has no closed countries. In God's economy, there are no closed countries. There are some who think they're closed, (laughs) right? But God is making a rich offer here. It is a universal offer geographically, ethnically speaking, everybody's included, no one is excluded. Now some look at this verse and say, well, that shouldn't even be in my Bible. (laughs) Because this is a a debate, is a passage under debate. And uh, if you believe that way, well, Luke gives us other passages that say, pretty much the same thing. For example, look at chapter 13, verse 10, lest you, you think that uh, Mark doesn't actually talk about the, the scope of our mission. Well, look at verse 13, verse chapter 13, verse 10. Jesus says the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. All nations. No geographical boundaries. It's the entire world. No one's excluded. Well, look what Jesus says in chapter 14, verse 9. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So again, you get this whole world theology, no one excluded. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved. Hopefully we're not universalists, that eventually everybody gets saved. That's not what that's teaching. But the gospel is to be proclaimed to the entire world, all people groups, all ethnicities. Uh, that was chapter 14, verse 10. Or, sorry, 9. Ch- uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 9. No, Mark. Mark. So I, was just, I, just, I, w- I want you to see in Mark here that, um, that it's not just chapter 16 where you see this, this theology of, of the scope of our mission. Okay, uh, the scope of the mission. So Mark 14, uh, 14 verse 9, as well as uh, chapter 13, verse 10. Sorry. So there is this prediction here that a gospel is going to be proclaimed to the whole world. Uh, there, there's a summons. The gospel must be proclaimed everywhere. And so as Jesus is approaching the cross here, he hasn't come to it yet, but as he's approaching the cross, he's laying this groundwork for his his people, this, which is this universal proclamation of his gospel. Praise God, it's not just to the Jew. It's to the Jew first, and then also to everyone else. So that's the scope of our mission. Now look at Luke chapter 24. By the way, all of these passages are giving you the same great commission. It's just you see different functions of the great commission. Look at Luke 24. So in Luke 24, you see the substance of the message. In other words, what what actually is the message? Where is it rooted? Who is the messenger? What what is this message about? Luke's going to answer that for us here. Uh, Look at Luke 24, verse 46. So in this context here, Jesus appears to some disciples, has a conversation with them. And verse 46 says, 
Uh, here's Jesus speaking. He says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and, re- and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So what's the substance of our message? What's the substance of your message? Well, first, note, just take note in verse 46 that the authority is rooted in Scripture. Your authority, my authority, is rooted in Scripture. Because notice what Jesus says, thus it is written. He's talking about Holy Scripture here when he says that. And so clearly the message that we have in this mission is from God Himself. The messenger is a witness of Christ, according to verse 48. The messenger is a witness of Christ. You are to proclaim, talk about, know something about Jesus so that you can then accurately and faithfully talk about Him. The message is about a person. Notice in verse 46, Jesus says, He talks about His death and His resurrection. It's about His death and His resurrection. He was the perfect sacrifice gave uh, to, to make atonement for sin and rose again, conquering Satan, death, and sin. The message, notice, includes a call for all the nations here to make a decisive break from sin. Not to just go on in their sin, doing as they like, because Jesus talks about repentance. Repentance is a, literally a change of mind in regard to your sin. And this decisive break from sin must happen before there can be a a divine cleansing from that sin. So when Jesus talks about this remission or forgiveness of sins, that doesn't happen until repentance happens. So you can't like hold on and love your sin and then say, well, I love Jesus. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You're not going to get cleansing from sin until there's a decisive break from the sin. And so all true followers of Jesus are prepared, at least in principle, then to forsake all these lesser loyalties. And this is the message that Jesus says we are to proclaim, not just for preachers, it's for anybody who takes the name of Christ. Then over in John chapter 20, we see the source of our mandate. The source of our mandate, or the source of the command this mission, John 20. Um, I encourage you to read the greater context that maybe today if you can. Wonderful context here. Again, Jesus appearing to the disciples in John 20. Look what he says in verse 21, though. He says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Well, notice the where the command comes from. The source of this mandate comes from Jesus himself. Well, that just immediately makes it important and significant. Something we take note of. Not something to be ignored. There's some great truth here. We, first of all, we see that Jesus is the one giving the disciples something. And in this context, he's, he's giving his peace. Here's the Prince of Peace giving His peace. So Jesus' peace here is the basis for their ministry. Even shapes the content of their message. So what is this peace, you might ask? Well, it's in Hebrew, you you might be familiar with the word shalom. Beautiful word, shalom. That's peace. This peace involves the right ordering of all things. Our universe is a mess at the moment. It's out of order. Not the way God made it. But true shalom, true peace, comes only to those who have union and communion with the one who is is giving the peace, the peace giver, who of course is Jesus. So the world seeks peace, doesn't it? Talks about peace all the time. But peace will never come without the peace giver. True peace will never come without the peace giver. The other truth, uh, another truth we see here is that Jesus 
being sent is prior to Jesus sending. There is no sending without the sent one, who is the one doing the sending here. Uh, the sending of Jesus happens first. It, it is the, the more central thing here. Uh, you say, well, what's, what's the point in, in even bringing that out? Notice Jesus sent, is sent first, but what's the point? Well, Christian mission is first of all Christ's mission into the world. Why did Christ come? If you understand that, it'll help you to understand your mission. So our mission, of course, is not identical to Jesus, uh, to his earthly work, because you're not God. Uh, But nevertheless, in a real way, Jesus is continuing to do through us what he began to say and do in his earthly ministry. Uh, Now, you can't die on the cross for, for your sin, let alone anybody else's. You can't do that part, but... Jesus came, accomplished his mission, and he, he said the mission continues through his church. And so another truth to take note of here is Jesus' mission is in some ways a model for our mission. You say, well, what, in, in what ways? Well, lest I be misconstrued, misunderstood, and sound heartless, uh, let me just state first of all, and simply, it was not Jesus' driving ambition to go around healing the sick and meeting all the needs of the poor. He did that sometimes. Don't get me wrong, but why? Was that really his mission in coming? No. According to the book of John, he was sent into the world to save people from condemnation, John 3 says. He was sent so that whoever feeds on him might live forever, John 6 says. So what drove Jesus' ministry was the proclamation of this good news we call the gospel. It was the announcement of the kingdom. In fact, there was even one that went before Jesus to prepare the way. And he preached repentance and forgiveness of sins in this coming kingdom. I'm talking about John the Baptist. And so Jesus comes along and he does the same thing. He, he, he calls for repentance and he calls for people to believe. So yes, Jesus healed. He, he, he would take demons out of people and he showed compassion, but there was a bigger purpose in why he did that. Don't lose sight of that. Those miracles testified to Jesus' authority and, and to his person and who he was. It, It pointed to his unique identity, that he was the Son of God. And so the mission of Jesus is the proclamation of the gospel and the accomplishment of this gospel in his death and his resurrection and his life. And so we we can't repeat all the various aspects of Jesus' earthly ministry. You can't atone for sin, but you can bear witness to what Christ has done. You can bear witness to what the Scripture has said the Messiah would do, and we can proclaim this gospel, and when we do, guess what? That is how you exalt Christ. That is how you continue to carry out His mission, which He told us to do. Turn over to Acts chapter 1. We will see the strength of our manpower. You say, well, man, this is a pretty serious mission. I've been sent to do a task. That's why I'm here. This is hard, I know. So look at the strength of our manpower according to Acts 1 verse 8. Context being Jesus' ascension going, he's back, going back to heaven. And he says in verse 8, but you, you, his disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So where does our strength come from? Where does your strength come from to accomplish this mission? Well, the energy, the power, the strength to minister to the world is not in you. It's not in me. It's not in mankind. It, it's in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he would send the Spirit. You would do greater things than he did. How? Through the Spirit enabling you. That's what grace is, God's divine enabling in your life. And so if he does not speak through us, then guess what? Your witness is in vain, it's empty, it's worthless, it's a waste of time. 
nothing will be accomplished of any good. So what does the Holy Spirit or, or what does the Holy Spirit give strength for? Well, a Christian is then going to be able to tell the truth. You're going to know the truth. You're going to be able to share that truth. You'll be a faithful and accurate witness, which is what you're supposed to do. What's the scope of this witness? Well, it starts where you live. Notice the text says, in Jerusalem. That's where they were when this took place. Because Jesus left from the east side of Jerusalem, from the Mount of Olives, when he ascended to heaven. So they're in Jerusalem. Basically, it just starts where you live. Wherever that is, you are to be a faithful witness. But then it spreads out into your region, whatever that is. The region around Jerusalem was Judea. Then it goes into the other regions, like Samaria. That was the region north of Judea. And then it goes to all the peoples of the earth, even the ones you don't like. Because the Jews didn't like Samaritans. They weren't pure-blooded Jews. They had intermarried with Gentiles. And so Jesus says the scope of this witness is to all peoples of the earth, the entire earth, including the ones you don't like. So if you are a racist, shall we say? I'll just use terminology our world often uses. If you're a racist, God calls you to stop being one and love them anyway. Peter struggled with that. The Apostle Peter struggled with that. Others who were Jews struggled with that. But they they obeyed God, and so should we. And so you, you see this being lived out throughout the book of Acts. This is kind of a summary key verse for the entire book of Acts. We see the church going to their Jerusalem. And God sends them persecution to spread them out. Then they go into Judea, and then they spread out. They go, they're going into the Samarias and into the uttermost part of the earth. And so we see the mission being fulfilled as the Word of God increases, that we see the Word of God multiplies many, many believe. Even after Peter preaches in chapter 2, what do we see there? We see 3,000 saved just after that one message alone. And so, yes, the Word receives opposition. Not everybody loves the Word of God. Not everybody loves Jesus. And everywhere the Word goes, though, there are some who believe. There are some who believe, not all. Eventually we see even this guy named Saul become the Apostle Paul. The one who persecuted Jesus' church becomes a bold proclaimer of his good news. And so Paul preaches the gospel. He goes into into new frontiers. Eventually God calls him. The Holy Spirit moves him into Europe. But we also see the strengthening of these Christians. Paul wasn't just preaching to uh, to unbelievers. He wasn't just soul winning to unbelievers. We see him continually strengthening the believers, establishing churches. And so his mission was not just evangelism, but discipleship as well. He was concerned that the church would go on and flourish. And he wins converts, yes, plants churches, but he builds up existing congregations and leaves them with leaders who know the Scriptures and share the Scriptures. So Paul's mission was to bear witness to Christ. Yes, it was also to teach the Bible. So to kind of summarize all these these various Scriptures we've looked at, Matthew through Acts, here's kind of a summary of the church's mission. With I love using questions and answering questions. And so we got who, why, what, where, how, when, and to whom. Scripture answers all that. So the summary of the church's mission, well, who? Jesus gave this mission, and he expects all of his followers to carry out that mission. Why? Well, the authority for our mission comes from Jesus Christ himself, Matthew 28 said so. What? Well, the mission focuses on the initial, continuing, verbal declaration of the gospel. It focuses on the announcement of Christ's death and his resurrection and the life that can be found in Him if you repent and believe. Where? Jesus said, you are sent into the whole world 
to every people group, every ethnic group in this world. How? Well, we go in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you do that, when you do that, you submit to King Jesus, the Lord of the church. When? Well, the mission began in Acts 2 here, Pentecost. It's going to last until the end of this age, the end of this church age. Praise God, King Jesus will come again. And to whom? Well, the church should make disciples of every people group, every ethnicity group, leaving none out. And so, if you kind of take all that, that whole summary and those scriptures and combine it into one very long sentence, here's what, something you'll have, okay? Pretty much something like this. I like this, this, uh, this definition or whatever you want to call it of the mission of the church. I'm quoting from this book, What is the Mission of the Church? Quote, the mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples. How? By declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches that they might worship the Lord and obey His commands now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. End quote. Well, there you go. Don't you love someone who could take one sentence from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts and condense it to that? There's your mission, folks. That's your mission. That's why you're here. At least your mission to the world. Your ministry to the world is that right there. But as you look at that, I'm also aware there are extremes we need to be aware of. There, As you're traveling the, the Christian road of life, so to speak, there are ditches that you can fall into. I hope my little diagram here is helpful to you. So beware of falling into these ditches. One ditch is an unholy love. The other ditch is an unloving holiness. This isn't original with me, but I found this helpful. So as you think of the ditch of unholy love that you can fall into, here's what it looks like, my friends. It is where there's this cultural absorption. You are not doing what 1 John 2.15 says. You are, you are loving the world. In other words, the world is in you, you love it. And therefore, you've been sucked into this world system, its, its cosmos, its way of thinking, its beliefs, its philosophies, and so forth. And in the process, the danger is you lose the message because you love the world. And so the need of the church, when it loves the world and has been absorbed into the world, is it needs to separate from the world. Because Jesus, or, or sorry, Romans 12 says, do not love the world. Don't be conformed. Sorry, that's 1 John 2.15. Romans 12.2 says, don't be conformed to the world. So you need to be separate from the world. That's the need of the church here. And so the problem with unholy love or cultural absorption is, the culture doesn't get the truth. It never sees Christ. That's the problem. But the other ditch you can fall into is an unholy or an unloving holiness, sorry. Where you just you're you're so separated, so isolated from the world, and in the process you're hiding out from this world's system that the world never gets to see you. It never gets to see Christ. And so you lose your audience in the process. You can probably think of some groups who have so isolated themselves that even we Christians look at them and say, well, that can't possibly be the way to do the mission. It's not. It's not. You can lose your audience in the process. Here's the need, my friends, an evangelistic penetration. Remember what Jesus said, be in the world, just don't let the world in you. In other words, you've got to live in the world. In, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you are salt and light. You are to have an influence in this world. Be an influence. You are. But what kind of an influence? See, if you let the world in you, then the salt has lost its savor. Jesus says it's just only worthy to be cast out onto the ground. It is good for nothing. Or it's like the light that has the bushel over it, and you can't see the light. None of those are good things. And so we need evangelistic penetration. 
But the problem with an unloving holiness is the culture doesn't get the truth. Notice same results for both, an unholy love and an unloving holiness, same result. The culture doesn't get the truth. God's not glorified. So what the church needs here is a healthy dose of divine holiness that is manifested in a biblical separation. Biblical separation. Jesus says, be in the world, just don't let the world in you. So what we need is divine love manifested in evangelistic penetration. And by the way, none of this is possible unless we arise out of our apathy. That's one of the things that, that kills churches, that kills the mission is our apathy. We, don't, we just don't care enough. And so instead of criticizing the secular world, which we love doing that, we spend a lot of our fellowship time doing that, me included. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to do, pick at the world, right? Easy to do. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but maybe instead of just kind of uh, taking pot shots at the secular world, maybe we should start repenting of our own sacred sins, our own uh, whatever those sins might look like, our, or as Jerry Bridges calls them, our own respectable sins. And then maybe you might actually intersect with the world. Maybe you might actually influence your culture to be the salt and light that Jesus calls you to be. So beware of extremes. Be balanced. Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't lose sight of the mission and how to accomplish that. So again, here's, uh, here's another way of kind of saying something similar here is this, my friends. Here's some, here's some ditch. Here's the ditch. One ditch is where you become not zealous for good works. The other side of the road, if you, you can fall into, is doing the wrong mission. Doing the wrong mission. Whether that's social justice or you think the mission is everything or, or if it's just simply soul winning for you, then you're doing the wrong mission. But be zealous for good works. The Bible says, that's why God created you, according to Hebrews 2.10. Uh, the way Jesus puts it in Matthew 5.16, he says, let your light, your, your influence is to shine before men so they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But why do we do good? Well, Jesus just said there, it's all about God's glory. That's why you do good. It's not so I get the glory and people praise me. And so, yes, we need to do good, but why do we do good? Let me give you a few biblical reasons of why you do good. Number one, let's just be clear, it's not for your salvation. <laughs> you don't do good works to save yourself. What did the Bible say in Ephesians 2, 8? It's for by grace. You've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So your good works will never save you. So that can't be the reason for doing good works. Well, the very next verse tells you why you do good works. It is, it is a result of your salvation. Put it this way. It's, a, it's the fruit of of God's work in you. It's evidence that you are one of His children. Because look what verse 10 says here. For we are His, that's God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're to walk in these, these good works. In other words, you're to live them. They're a lifestyle. Not something you just do like one day a week or you just put it on at a certain time in your life. No, you're walking, you're living it. You're created for this. And then number three, we do good works to obey God. But why do we obey God? Hopefully, it's for the right motive. Look what 1 John 5, 3 says. This is love for God. What does love for God look like? John tells you to obey His commands obey god's commands that's what love looked like so love for god is the proper motive for these 
good works. How do you know you love God? Because you love loving Him and loving His commands. <laughs> Number four, last of all here, we see that uh, we do good works because we love our neighbors, right? You see that the, you just obeyed the two great commands that Jesus talks about, right? Look what He says in Matthew 22, verse 36. Somebody asked Jesus here in Matthew 22, he says, Teacher, what, what is the, the great commandment that we find in the law? Here's what Jesus says in verse 36. And he summarizes the entire Ten Commandments into two. And he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So there you go. Yes, you should do good because you love God. How do you show that? By keeping His commands. But you should also do good works because you love your neighbor. By the way, your neighbor is not just, you understand, it's not just the person who lives next to you, right? Jesus told us a whole parable, a whole story to explain who our neighbor is. Read the parable of the Good Samaritan. So your neighbor is anybody you're going to come in contact with. So you need to be ready to love that person. It might be really inconvenient, as it was for the Good Samaritan. So love your neighbor, notice how? As yourself. Well, that tells you one thing. We all love ourselves. None of us have a so-called self-esteem problem. What we do have, though, is a self-love problem. We have a self-love problem. We all love ourselves. The problem is most of us worship ourselves. We don't worship God. So there's why you need to do good. So beware of those ditches. Do good, the Bible says, for the right person, the right motives. Of course, we do it to bring glory to God. And so these ditches are ones that we can easily fall into. We can be not zealous for good works because we love ourselves too much. We can do the wrong mission because we're confused or we've been wrongly taught or uh, we don't understand what the Scripture says or whatever that might be. So let's do good works because we love God, we love our neighbors, and we want to bring glory to God. So it's not the church's responsibility to go and make everything right in this world that you think is wrong. It's not to meet every single need that you think there is out there. That's not the church's mission. You can't do that. And it would, it, there's, an, there's a finite amount of resources and time. You can't do everything. However, it is our responsibility that this unpopular message, this gospel, this good news, is to be told. Yes, using words. <laughs> And that our neighbors and the nations and that all the people groups of the world know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that by believing in Him, John 20 says, they may have life in His name. That's what John 20, 21 says, doesn't it? That's our responsibility. Unpopular though it may be, it is good news. May I remind you, there is no good news without bad news. So yes, we need to tell them the bad news. Use the law. Use what God has commanded us to do to show that they have never met the law. But there is one who has. Jesus kept the law in all points. And then he went and paid the price for your sin, because you didn't keep the law. He paid the price for your sin. And he now stands before the Father, interceding for us. So my friend, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord of all. He is the Son of God. And he is the only one worthy of the worship, the only one worthy to be believed, the only sacrifice for sin. And so we need to tell people this message. This is our mission. Eternal life is possible. You can know it, in fact. In fact, John says, 
You can know this truth. You can know that you have eternal life. What a wonderful promise. But it only comes through Jesus. The one who said in John 14 that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It's an exclusive message. An unpopular message, but a true message nevertheless. A life-saving message. So would you tell it? Would you be a part of this mission? Please understand, this is your mission. You are a part of the church. (laughs) If you are a believer in Christ today, my friend, you are a part of the universal church. Therefore, this is your mission. We have this mission. It's a glorious mission, a great mission. One that you can look back at the end of your life and you can say, I didn't waste my life. And guess what? When you see Jesus, He will reward you. The head of the church will reward you if you obey His mission. Would you obey? Would you follow Him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for sharing this mission with us. Thank You for calling us to be Your ambassadors, be about Your work, giving us a glorious mission with with meaning to this life that we live. May we know this mission, fulfill this mission by your grace, through the power of the Spirit. May we not be distracted by other good things, many, many good things we could be doing. May we not lose sight of this mission, though. So, until you come, may we be about this mission. Give us passion, zeal, for good works. May we not be distracted by wrong missions, falling into either one of those ditches there, but may we stay on the road, be balanced, follow you, being about your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.